0: an interesting passage if you think about it, brethren. We read it often. It's in Isaiah, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter two, and verse nineteen. It talks about our foundation. Verse nineteen, it says, "Now therefore." You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I often have read this passage and certainly have recognized what it says. But I wonder, have you thought about what role the prophets have? and laying a foundation for the church of God. But we know that the message of Jesus Christ was a message of the soon coming kingdom of God. The gospel of good news, of a world that will completely and totally change from what man has experienced under the influence of Satan. This particular phrase caused me to sort of think about what are the things the prophets have said that we should be mindful of and that we should learn from as God's church today. And so today, most of my sermon, we're going to be primarily in the book of Isaiah. A prophet of God who, when you begin to read his writings and go through the book of Isaiah, you realize that so many things that he says it's the world we live in, especially here in the United States. And I think it's also true in the other nations of Israel, what he warns them of, the attitude of the people, the trend of society. And there's so many things that are said that represent our time. And yet, within that message is the message of hope as a message of the promises of God. Brethren, I'm going to mix a little bit of both because I think we need to hear what God's prophet said to the children of Israel when they lived in a time that's parallel to the very time we live in now. At the same time, it's so important that we come to the feast and we leave with a hope that our hope and our faith is in God. That we look not to this present world, but we look to the soon coming kingdom of God. Because this present world will pass away. It would do so even naturally without God's intervention. It would be totally annihilated. Man is not on a path to bring peace, happiness, and plenty to society. I'd like to start by reading a, a passage that to me is very encouraging when you consider the message of Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter three. In this passage is a passage I've often heard uh, referred to in verse 12 of Isaiah 3. It says, "As for my people, children are their oppressors." And women rule over them. And it looks like in the future that's going to happen within our nation. Increasingly it is happening. Is it a bad thing for women to have responsibility? No. But it's not the natural role that God wants. And it says so not in a positive manner, but rather in a negative manner. It says, Oh my people, those who lead you cause you to err. And that's so true today. And frankly it doesn't make a difference which side of the party lines we speak of. Both of them are leading our nation in areas where we depart from God's laws and his principles, whether simply to focus on our nation to make America great again Or if it is to introduce other policies, neither of those focus on God. It says, and destroy the way of your paths, the things that would bring goodness to our nation. Well, prior to that, God told, well, let me start in verse 8 and lead down to it. We find what Isaiah wrote by God's inspiration. It says, For Jerusalem stumbled, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. It's interesting, the order. It starts with the tongue, and it ends with action. But they're against God. To provoke the eyes of His glory, the look on their countenance witnesses against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. And, of course, today we have parades and people openly. The, the concept of coming out today is growing old. Today, there's a desire to influence others to be a part of their diversion from what is natural. So as they do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. And even when medical doctors try to point that out, which has happened at various times, the authorities, whether in a hospital or within our nation, have actually moved against them. And yet they have an oath to protect the health of their patients. But they make an exception. In that atmosphere, God says in verse 10, Say to the righteous it shall be well with them. You know, Isaiah had a message from the beginning of his writings to the end that the people who are faithful, it will be well with them. God will be with them. He will not abandon us. In spite of the trials and difficulties that lie ahead, brethren, if we are faithful, God will be with us. For they shall eat the fruit of their doings. The things we do will produce a good fruit. Not just in the world to come, brethren, but even in this life. God says through troubled times and difficulty that lie ahead, it will be well with His people. Says, Woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. I think it's very important that we understand that, that we realize that being faithful to God, God will not abandon us. I mentioned the end of the book. Let's go all the way to Isaiah chapter 66, the end of the book of Isaiah. And see some things that are said here that are interesting in this regard. It starts with the spirit and heart of the people who God takes notice of. In Isaiah chapter 66 six and verse 1, Thus says the Eternal, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? All those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, of him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. Somebody who is humble before God. It takes a look at the reality that we're nothing but flesh and blood. We're here, brethren, like the grass of the field. And we'll have a short period of time on this earth. You know, as you grow older, that becomes more of a Reality. You come to the place where you have friends that you loved or family and they're now deceased, and some of them even younger than you are, you realize life is temporary. And so it's humbling. And so there should be a humility toward our Creator. And a spirit, the Bible speaks of as being contrite. A spirit of willingness to change and to repent We live in a world that says you can't teach an old dog new tricks you read in God's word and God says to an old dog you're on the wrong path get it correct get it going get do what's right and if you do what's right God says he will forget the past a totally different way of thinking. This, on this one will I look of him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Who actually has great respect for the word of God. You know, I was in a meeting not too long ago and someone said, it's a command to do something. One of the ministers at headquarters asked, please show us that command. He could not do so. As the meeting went on, the minister who had asked that asked him, You know, is it a sin if we don't sing in church? And he refused to answer. He said something that really upset me as a regional pastor. He said, I will sing with my friends in the parking lot and then go to into church. That's how you it upset me. You know why? My friends as a minister is the church. I have friends in the churches I serve, but I serve the brethren. I wouldn't stand outside the door with a few close friends and do something and then go into the church. And when I heard that, I thought, you're serving the wrong group. That's not the duty of a minister of Jesus Christ. It is to serve the brethren. Everyone that God calls. And to have the same responsibility and heart toward everyone. Do we have friends? All of us do naturally, yes. But should we have that spirit or even say such a thing? Before God, absolutely not. It's interesting because in the same passage... In verse 5, and you would not like to think, but it's here in God's Word. It reminds me of some of the things said by Christ in Matthew 24. He's talking to His disciples. In verse 5 it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at His word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast, who cast you out for My name's sake said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. I think in this particular case, it's talking not just of, let's say, a church relationship, but actually within a nation. But brother, when you read it in the context of the end time, and you know what God says of Israel, the Israel of God is the church of God, then I think you have to stop and pause, because... The words of Matthew, inspired by Christ, the words of Jesus Christ said, the time will come when they will betray and hate one another. And I think one thing all of us should pray, and I certainly do at times, is ask God, never let that be in my heart. Never let me hate someone or be so upset with someone that I would think evil toward them especially within the Church of God. And I think it's important for us to understand that and recognize that and we hear or see that kind of spirit rather than we flee from it. That in no way are we a part of it. What's interesting as you read on in the same chapter, is the, the sound of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children, Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I cause delivery shut up from the womb, says your God? Those The very things God has promised are going to happen very quickly. Jesus Christ returns, brethren, in just a very short time. This world goes through dramatic change. And even if you look at the events leading up to that return, a time of great suffering such as the world has never seen. is just a matter of a few years. And that Jesus Christ will cut short the time for the elect's sake. And so it says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her. All you who love her. What does Jerusalem represent? What will it be? Well, it will be the city of God. It will be the dwelling place of the King. It will be His throne. The throne of Christ. When it says those who love her, it's talking about Jesus Christ as their head. As their king. If you were baptized, you accepted that. The ceremony in the church of God in baptism is that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master. Your soon coming King and High Priest. We accept Him and accepted Him in a covenant. And brethren, when we make that exception, we cannot forget it. We cannot think, well, yes, but He is not here No, He is here. He tells us repeatedly that He is the head of the body of His church, the body of Jesus Christ. He tells us in the Scripture repeatedly in different passages and in different ways, that he's working with each member that he has called. He tells us in Ephesians that he himself, not someone else, he himself has set some in the church. You can read it in Ephesians chapter 4. To serve the body of Christ. I think it's important for us to understand when we read in Isaiah, God's talking about an aspect of His kingdom that is on this earth today. And that's the leadership of Jesus Christ. Do we look for that in the future? Yes, because we want that leadership and that rulership to extend to all of humanity. Because we understand it to be a throne of love and mercy and forgiveness and righteousness. Does that mean the instruments of God are without weakness? No, they all have weaknesses. I've mentioned various times that a brethren I serve in, 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 for instance, Louisville or Cincinnati or Berea or the congregations I've served over the years, if you think a minister is perfect, don't talk to my wife. You'll be there a long time. (laughs) Because I'm far from perfect and I know that. That's why I pray for God's forgiveness and His mercy. That's why as a minister, brethren, I've always felt I need to be forgiving. Because if I'm forgiving, God will forgive me. If I'm merciful, God has promised to show me mercy. And I know that I need it. It says, Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. In verse 14, When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to His servants, and His indignation to His enemies. So we find in the book of Isaiah, from beginning to end really, an encouragement and a consolation to those who serve God. And brother, what we look for is, is very well summed up in a few passages in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And I'll read just a few things from them. And then we're going to move on into some things that are stated in Isaiah that have to do with the end times and have to do with God's people. In Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 20, It says, it shall come to pass in that day. That's a phrase that is often used in reference to the future. In that day that the remnant of Israel, such as have escaped of the house of Jacob, will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. That has not happened. It lies ahead. When Israel will depend on the Holy One of Israel, the Eternal. It says, for though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. going to be a time of devastation that lies ahead. God says, "Only a remnant will live through all that lies ahead. The destruction decree shall overflow with righteousness, and the Lord God of hosts will make an a determined end in the midst of all the land." He's going to come to where God fulfills His purpose. We read in chapter eleven, verse one. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And you certainly know, and it's very well revealed throughout God's Word, even to the point of the book of Revelation when Jesus Christ is resurrected and stands before the entire spiritual realm of God. He's identified as being from Jesse. The family of David is the Lamb of God. He does not lose that identity in the spiritual realm. In verse 4, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. So it speaks of Jesus Christ as King. That's Lord of Lords. It's in that setting we then read of something we all rejoice in. The time when the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall, shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. One of our sermonette men in site one, or site two, excuse me, gave a sermonette sort of talking about looking to the future and a young man who met Christ and with him was the lion. And we were chatting because we went out to dinner later after sermonette and I I mentioned to him, Mr. Bibb, I said, well, you should have added in one line there about the lion. He said, what was that? I said, you should have said, well... We're going home and I know you're hungry. Do you want alfalfa today or the oats? Because <laughs> he was sort of looking at, looking forward to this time. And he laughed and we laughed together. But that's going to happen. Verse nine, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. What, what an incredible statement. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what God has promised. And brethren, it's the time we look forward to. It, continue, it continues in this, and it talks of a physical event that will happen at the end of the age. Verse 11, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand again the second time to recover the remnant of His people who are left, from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar and Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And the people of our nation, and the nations that were the children blessed by the obedience of Abraham, and yet they turned away from God, God will gather them together. And that's a physical event that we all look forward to. In verse 1 of chapter 12, in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. That will be the song, the thoughts of the children of Israel. And brethren, of course, for us, it will be a time of total salvation. This Flesh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye for some will change. And for others, the Bible says that this life, what we are, will be swallowed up by eternal life. A very interesting statement in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. That our mortality will be swallowed up by life. What lies between that time and the present. Well, there's some things in the Bible that I think we should take note of in the book of Isaiah that will be very helpful. In Isaiah chapter 33. In Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 10, it says, Now I will rise, says the Lord. I will be exalted. Now I will lift myself up. As a result in verse 14, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with a devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly. You know, brethren, you cannot speak uprightly unless it comes from the heart, because eventually what will come out of your mouth will be your heart. And how do you deal with that? And you know, what was the advice Jesus Christ gave to the Pharisees? You say, well, you get busy and you scrub the outside? of." No, he said to them, because of their hypocrisy and that they were full of dead men's bones, he told them to wash their hearts. That if you clean the inside of the pot, then the outside will be clean. And so God's telling us, and it says, that be aware of who you are and how you stand before your Creator. He who despises the gain of oppressions, and that's so true right now today, there are people who are become billionaires, and not just a few. You think, well, who have they oppressed? Well, look at all the people who have made such great money, who have very shared so little with those who work for them and those who labor for them. I don't think that will be true in God's kingdom. If you're in an enterprise that prospers, you will prosper with it greatly. Very, very few really wealthy people have passed that on. They've used their times to draw attention to themselves, to try to influence the world as they think it should be influenced. But how many people that work at Amazon loading and unloading are really paid that well? And yet look at the money that is produced by their labor. It's true across our entire nation. What's happening in our nation, brethren, is a, great, a growing gulf between the very wealthy and the poor and the middle class. Our middle class in this nation is shrinking. And it's because those who have want more. They want more than is right and more than is just. Says who God speaks of the individual who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed. You almost have to turn your TV off to do that, don't you? Whether it's in the news or whether it's in the shows that are being produced, they are increasingly violent. If you have children, you should take a good look at. You know, what kind of comics and and cartoons and things like that that they watch. Violence has become the center of entertainment in our society. and shuts His eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given Him. His waters will be sure. It's actually talking about God's protection. There's another passage also in Isaiah, I'll not turn to it, write it down. It's in Isaiah chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, where it speaks to Edom. It says, Hide my outcast. Don't betray them. God will protect. In God's church, we refer to that as a place of safety. And we don't refer to it just out of sort of our thinking. We refer to it, brethren, because of passages in the Bible. It's not the concoction of Mr. Armstrong. It's the Word of God. You got, does God play a huge emphasis on it? No, He's just showing His kindness. Because I think anyone that will be there would also willingly give their life. Because so that's what it says in Revelation 12. They love not their lives to the death. And perhaps some will die. We're going to die. That's the reality of life. If your life is cut short in God's service, your heart is right, you will live. And please understand, your heart needs to be right. One of the passages in 1 Corinthians when it talks about love, it says, And though you give your body to be burned and have not love, you profit nothing. So your heart has to be right before God. It says to these people, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is the scribe? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will not see a fierce people, a people with of obscure speech, beyond perception, of a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. It says, look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast, Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. There's some wonderful promises in this book. For those who walk righteously and speak uprightly, the things that we've read. There's also, in a way, brethren, kind of a warning to us. The kind of direction as to how we should grow and what we should seek. In Isaiah chapter 51, Isaiah 51 verses 7 and 8, it says here, and you can read the context, but the context is continuing. God's servant is going back and forth between what is happening as God punishes nations or as God deals with the children of Israel. And then from time to time, he speaks of those who trust in him, those who look to him. And of course, rather than the theme of all of this, the entire book is the soon coming return of Jesus Christ, the establishment of his government and his rule that will never end. And I think that's very important for us to understand that once Jesus Christ returns, He will never give up the throne. He'll release really Satan for a short period of time. But brethren, He has purpose in it. When you read the scripture, you realize what it is. It's to bring to an end an age where we would think everyone would certainly accept God and accept Jesus Christ. They would embrace His mercy and His forgiveness. But when you see the influence of Satan, you realize that no, that will not be in the hearts of everyone. Even though they lived during a time of righteous government. No more than it was in the heart of Satan. Satan lived under the very government of God. But brethren, his vanity, his weakness lifted him. He wasn't created that way. It was within himself. And he said, I will ascend. It's interesting, he says it three times. I will, I will. He became so self-willed. That was all he could see. The Bible tells us at the end that men will be lovers of themselves. Self-willed. We have to be cautious of that. We live in a world that if Satan could mold you, and he's trying to do that with everyone, brethren, he would mold you into a self-willed, independent and rebellious soul. That's what He wants. That's who He is. And we have to think differently. We have to realize that no, God created us. He gave us life. We're flesh and blood. But He wants us to be His children. We read here in verse 7 of chapter 51 of Isaiah, Listen to me, you who know righteousness... You people in whose heart is my law, do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation for generation to generation." So in the midst of the events, God tells us, you who know righteousness and your, your heart, you love my law. Don't listen to others. Don't break the bond that you have with your creator. We read in chapter 52, starting in verse seven. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, Who brings glad tidings of good things. Who proclaims salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together. You waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now, saying this and knowing what lies ahead, what does it say then in verse 11? Depart, depart, get out from there, touch no unclean thing, get out from the midst of her, be clean. You who bear the vessels of the Lord. God tells us to be clean. The same thing that is said in Revelation. Separate yourself from this world. Now we can't get out of the world, brethren. We should not be drinking in of her. We should be drinking in of God's Word and His truth. Are we to be ignorant of this world? No. In fact, God tells us to watch, to see what's happening, to watch and to pray. It also tells us that those who are the people of God will, will sigh and literally mourn for what they see happening. In the book of Ezekiel, God says he will mark those people and spare them as his people. And it says to start first with the house of God. It says, For you shall not go out with haste nor by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the Lord and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. God promises He'll be with His people. And I think it's important for us to embrace that and understand that. We should not be afraid, brethren, of what lies ahead. Rather, we should pray, Thy kingdom come. You know, when I was a young man, I I really didn't want want to pray that. Even when I began to be, my mind was open and so on. Because see, I knew enough to know that some real tough times were coming. I also wanted to get married. I wanted to have family. I wanted all the physical things of this life. I'd been baptized and I was growing and I came to realize as I matured that I was on the wrong path. I needed to pray, thy kingdom come because that was for everyone. And my prayer was about Lambert Greer. (laughs) It was about myself. Let's hold it off for a while. God has, he has blessed my life. But brethren, as I matured, I pray with my heart, "Thy, thy kingdom come just like every servant of God will pray. And it's not a strange thing, and nor should we find fault that any servant of God would pray that God's kingdom would come while they're alive. We live in a time when people who have rejected the truth look back and say, Mr. Armstrong, he was a false prophet. He prayed that God's kingdom would come when he was alive. And he's been dead, dead now how many years? Or Mr. Meredith really had it wrong. Why? Because he desired that God would come in his life and he hastened would hasten the day of his coming. I hope that you do not fall into that trap of condemnation without understanding. I hope that you pray, Thy kingdom come. We read in Isaiah 55, I'm going to read just a part of this, brethren, because there are several things I wish to cover. But we read this a lot and don't think about its context. Because in Isaiah 55, in the context of the events happening, what lies ahead, God says, hold everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. You can read on. It says, verse 6, "...Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon, upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts." Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him to our God. He will abundantly pardon. You know, it's an appeal. It's an appeal to those that God is calling whose mind He begins to open. It's a continuing appeal to all of us, brethren. And God's allowed and permitted that we can preach the Gospel. And as we receive freely, We freely give. And I think it's important for us to realize the value of what was given to us. You you think about the context and you read through this passage and you realize that God's appealing to those that He's calling. To those whose mind is opening. And He's doing so from a time, brethren, when it's not His kingdom. Is leading up to the time of His kingdom. We read in chapter 56, because there's some things here in the Scripture. One is the pursuit of righteousness, to look to God as our King. There's also passages in the book of Isaiah that are very specific about rejoicing in God's Sabbath and His appointed feast. And I know that's what all of you are doing. So I'm preaching a little bit here to the choir. But I've also seen at times where people who have attended God's Feast have not really taken it to heart. People I thought would always be a part of the Feast of Tabernacles who today are not. And the way that God reaches out here is not to those who have A natural birthright as the children of Israel, but actually to those who are the son of a foreigner. In verse one of chapter 56, it says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come. Please note that. And my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the Son of Man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hands from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner, who has joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from His people nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. Thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the son of the foreigner who joins themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord your God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. You know, the indication of that is even during the time of the captivity of the children of Israel, There will be others who begin to understand and to keep God's Sabbath, who will hear the voices of God's servants, His watchmen, and perhaps the two witnesses. And please understand, the Sabbath has always been a test commandment. It has always been a sign in which God chooses. this His sign of His people. I heard someone many years ago, seemed a long time ago, but it was 25 years ago approximately, who said, no, the love of God is a sign of God. The Sabbath is not a sign. And I thought to myself even then, almost immediately, you know, even McDonald's has more than one sign and way of advertising. Is God restricted to one sign? Are we so foolish to limit Him in that manner? No, one of His signs obviously is the love that His people have one for another. But another very clear sign which has not been taken away, in fact, one of the older signs is to acknowledge our Creator and to look forward to the time of rest. Or as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, that rest has not yet come. And therefore, there remains the keeping of the Sabbath. Because, brother, the Sabbath pictures also the time we celebrate the rest, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so, it's emphasized. It's emphasized also to those who literally have turned to God. It speaks of the kind of fast that is acceptable to God in in Isaiah 58. And you know, it speaks of how you treat other people. And I'm going to read the entire chapter, but starting in verse 10. Well, let me start in verse 9. It says, there, Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. He shall, you shall cry, and He will say, Here am I. He's talking about how we fast, how we come to God. I don't think that's limited to fasting. I think it's what we pray, and how we pray, and how we conduct ourselves. How we walk as a Christian. And brother, we can do that with a certain spirit and heart that is not acceptable to God. But he tells us what is. He's very plain about it. He says, If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places." You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What's the timing of that? I think it's today. I think it's our part, brethren, being a part of the work. I think it's the spirit we have when we see someone new in church. And we see someone walk in and maybe they've got long hair or you know, covered with tattoos or whatever it may be that are part of this world and God has called them. And brethren, what we look for is none of the outward things. We talk to them and fellowship and build a bond that comes from the heart. I have seen in that area the church of God grow. I remember a time in the church when somebody came in with long hair. We people kind of veered away and were almost afraid to talk to them. Probably thought I wouldn't know what to say. And anybody that walks in the door, they've come because of the truth. That's why they're there. We don't have a line of free meals, do we? We're not passing out clothing. We're not giving out money. So anybody that walks in the the doors of the church of God, they have one reason to be there. They have an interest in what they read and what they've studied. Don't be afraid. Step up and be warm and welcoming. In this very same passage, it says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, From doing your pleasure in my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the eternal honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways. So once again, he first brings it up to those who have a desire, whether it be of a eunuch or the son of a foreigner. God says, keep my Sabbath, keep my laws. It's not changed. He's not changed. He said the same thing in the book of Exodus. The strangers that were among the children of Israel, he said, if you wish to be one, then you accept a covenant. In that case, it was a covenant of circumcision. It was outward as a circumcision of the flesh. And what God reveals to us very plainly through Jesus Christ and through his servants, that what God seeks is a circumcision of the heart. And when that circumcision is present, God says, you will be my son or my daughter. And here He says to those who seek Him and who would actually fast, it would be a practice. He says to them, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the eternal honorable and shall honor Him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Eternal has spoken it. I do believe, brethren that the time will come when the Sabbath will be a challenge again. Today we enjoy freedoms. We probably will become once again one of the great test commandments that will identify and separate us from the, the rest of those who call themselves Christian. Because we keep God's Sabbath day. I tend to believe also that when we talk of betrayal, it may well be because of God's Sabbath. We cannot let down in keeping God's Sabbath day as we should. We cannot let down, brethren, on assembling ourselves and caring for one another. We cannot let down on using the Sabbath to draw close to God. Because that's God's intent. It's a time that we are rejuvenated and refreshed in Him. And that needs to be our heart. When God speaks of this world being cut off from Him in chapter 59. Isaiah 59, verse 1, it says, "...Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is the ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear." And then God explains why And how our world has turned to violence and their feet runs to blood. And they don't really understand or even consider the way of peace. And there's no justice in their ways. You can read the passage. I'd like to point out to you, brothers, some things it says to those of a different heart. In verse 15 it says, So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. That is what lies ahead. You separate yourself from the evil of this world, God says you'll become a prey. But it also says, then the Lord saw it, and it displeased Him that there was no justice. You know, it's like there's a time where God in a sense comes to a certain point and then He steps in. We know that's true when we look at some of the events in the Scripture. We know when God came to Abraham and He looked upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham began to reason with God. If there's only so many, would you spare the city? You know, what Abraham did not understand, brethren, and perhaps we will not understand, is that when you look at the hearts of men, which we cannot see, but God can, how few the number would be. It tells us in verse 20 and 21, the Redeemer will come to Zion. And those who turn from transgression in Jacob, or to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. So as the Redeemer's coming, and during that period of time, this time, those who turn from transgression, this is what God says. And He says it to us, brethren. And it's a message we need to realize and take to heart as we go forward. This piece, picture is a wonderful time. It is our hope. It is, in fact, God's promise. And it will happen. It will happen quickly as we read in Isaiah 66. A nation will be born in a day. It will happen a passage I mentioned in my first sermon where God says, I have you inscribed. I will not forget you. You're inscribed in My hands. The same as He said to Thomas who doubted. He said, He held forth his wounds. God will not forget. But He promises here a covenant. And it's a covenant we enter into at baptism. It's a covenant we've made. But He says some things about it, brethren, that I think are extremely encouraging. He says, As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My Spirit who is upon you. And my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants more from the mouth of your descendants' descendants says the Lord from this time and forevermore. We rejoice in God's promises. Brethren, listen to His words of encouragement and take heed to his counsel and advice as we move forward at the end of this age.